now, here is a place I never thought we would record from. This is my apartment on West 97th Street in Manhattan, New York, USA. That sound is our daily 7 p.m. casserolasso outside. The casserolasso, the banging of pots and casserole pans, was a South American invention, a form of earshot solidarity for times of government lockdown. I heard it in person a few months ago in Beirut during their street revolution. It had already spread across the globe even ahead of the virus, a contagious good, a clanking cri de corps of all of those who want to think up a better world. Our family is thankfully in good health. Many of our friends are not, though they have largely been able to slog through their fevers, uncounted and untested, in their apartments. The city is an odd mix of the very calm. I went to the farmer's market for bread this weekend, and the very dreadful. The most constant noise on the street is the sirens that we hear as we fall asleep and then again as we wake up in the morning. We know that more than 6,000 people have died in New York City, that it has hit the poorest neighborhoods the hardest, that they're digging mass graves in the potter's field on Hart Island in the East River. But for the fortunate among us, the sirens and this nightly casuelasso are the only real soundtrack of this strange calamity. A couple of weeks ago, I thought about fleeing New York. We saw what was coming. My wife and I actually took our kids out of middle school a few days before the school system shut down. But the panic that gripped me left soon enough, and reason took over. I knew from talking to an aunt in Madrid that it was people like me, panicky city dwellers who wanted to wait out the pandemic in the countryside, who actually helped spread the disease the most. So I stopped Googling rental cars, and WhatsApped that Leonardo DiCaprio clip from The Wolf of Wall Street, the I'm not fucking leaving speech, to my worried friends and family. And with my newfound moral resolve, I wrote an essay for The Atlantic Magazine about the selfish folly of escaping New York City in the teeth of a pandemic. The title, which my editors there overruled, was going to simply be, I'm not fucking leaving. Now I am faced with a similar question about this show. My time as a Luminary Premium podcast is up. Last week's episode from Barcelona was the last that I'm producing with them. I'm grateful to Luminary. They were the first people to reach out after Bourdain died to say they still wanted to make something great together. I'll miss my partners, Jamie and Kenzie there. And like many people in many lines of work these days, I will miss the financial support. The show has had its share of pivots over the last couple years from the death of its co-creator on down the line. And it did cross my mind last week to just fold it up. But I can't. The world and the people in it are just too fascinating, especially now, when every country on Earth is facing the same problem all at once. Besides, it doesn't really matter if I can't afford a plane ticket at the moment. There's nowhere to fly. So, the trip will continue. We're moving ourselves to iTunes and Stitcher and wherever you get your podcasts. Instead of the old format of a single in-depth, in-person, on-location interview each episode, this version will be checking in with a handful of people around the world every week to hear about their lives in lockdown. Seven minutes or so from each person, just enough for a flavor of their lives in this moment. The scheduled guest for this week was going to be Berlin-based author Musa Okwonga. Instead, he is on this episode telling me what he's going to wear to dazzle Berlin the day the curfew breaks. Saba Imtiaz, an old friend of R&K, 
calls in from Karachi in part to tell me a story about a pigeon who became too bold in the empty streets. That aunt in Madrid I had mentioned before, Alexis Miners. She's technically my aunt, but she's my age, and she's long been a close friend. She talks to me about falling in love with her neighbors and her neighborhood during their long and harsh confinement. And Chef Magnus Nielsen, late to Favican Restaurant, a favorite collaborator of mine, talks about disease and rebirth in his apple orchard in southern Sweden. This is Nathan Thornburg, and from Roads and Kingdoms, you are listening to The Trip, a show that isn't fucking leaving. All right, Musa. <laughs> we were going to talk this week for the whole episode. We talked a lot about just how you would come to terms with Berlin and what does that yeah. feel like under lockdown now? Has any of that even changed? Even better, to be honest. It's even better because it's the knowledge that we have a mature leadership in charge of the country. And that oh, sounds like a small thing. Don't go showing I know, I off now. <laughs> no, I, I hate to say it because, you know, Germany, like I've critiqued Germany in so many forums and in so many places for its problem with the far right. This is uh, an ongoing problem and it's still there. Don't get me wrong. What really has been reassuring in this period is that the adults have entered the room. And so the far right, for example, now, if you look at the German parliament, they're the only party still sitting in the German parliament. Everyone else is working from home. But the 70 far-right MPs are working because it's a kind of show of like muscular, you know, it's a very sort of authoritarian cosplay they're doing. They're like, we're so tough that we can work even under the conditions of a coronavirus, which is just, it's bizarre and absurd, but that's what's happening right now as we speak. And I just feel so reassured that we have a country where the leaders don't pander to those sentiments. Um and I've got to say as well, the way that Germany has policed this situation by allowing a partial lockdown has been quite good because then you can kind of catch your breath. It's not this like stifling, can't leave the flat, can't get out, can't get exercise. Because they've limited going out to gatherings of no more than two people, it means you can go out with your partner to the lakes for a bit of exercise. They've left the bike shops open. So they've said explicitly, like, bike shops are exempt from normal shops being shut because we want people to get exercise. We encourage you to go out and use the roads in that sense and use the woods. So there is that kind of like, there's that element of, there's an element of freedom and workability that I'm really grateful for in the city. Um, so like gun shops in America, bike shops in Berlin <laughs> are essential <laughs> businesses. <laughs> exactly. The right to bear bikes is better than the right uh, to bear arms, but still, yeah. You know, I, I'm very fond of you, and I thought that talking to you might pick me up a little bit, but this isn't working at all, man. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. Do you know, do you know, I'm sorry, what can I say? Because um, we can I do to make are, better? you know, uh, if you're taking the corona party that is uh, happening with the AFD in, in the German parliament, that's basically our entire administration, oh, no. you know? <laughs> so, oh, it's just... I feel also, you know, you talk about the adults in the room, but it feels like the, you know, the things that also drove me crazy, drive me crazy, will hopefully drive me crazy again in Germany is the social policing that happens among Germans yeah. on the daily basis. And, um, you know, that sense uh, that it's not, it's not just, it's not an ethnic trait. It's just sort of uh, now German. It's, it's German. It's yes. just, <laughs> it's everybody's culture. I'm just amazed to see people from, you know, all different parts of, uh, you know, the world, all different, you know, walks of life 
just sitting there staring at a red light waiting to cross an empty street uh yeah because if you don't cross if you cross the street when it's red then a child might learn the lesson that it's okay to cross and then one of the the child gets hit that's a real thing yeah that's a real thing and it feels like (laughs) that you know we've had so much selfishness and just kind of chaotic self-interest uh which is a defining american you know uh quality anyway that i really you know i miss an environment where people are kind of looking at each other and thinking okay is this the right thing are you doing the right thing by by everybody else uh tell me about um your daily routine then what have you have you started one is it is it different every time it's getting quite scary now. I actually wrote a piece about this, a kind of slightly um, magic realist piece earlier today. I suppose it's a slight sequel to what I sent you. Um, but it's basically a magic realist piece I wrote, a short piece where, I'll probably put it on Instagram actually, where I go to my front door and I haven't left my flat for so long, the front door's actually grown over. And the front door has spat out the key, which I've now found on the doormat. And <laughs> the the wood has now fused with the stone wall. And... I wrote this piece because I've been at home. I've been at home until two hours ago for the last four days without leaving. Now what happens is because you've got no natural reason to leave the flat in the evening, you start having lunch a lot earlier. So you start having lunch at like 10.30 a.m., like 10 a.m. You have your business calls like a bit earlier. And so by four or five o'clock, you're kind of done for the day. You might go to bed at six or seven. Like... This is, and this is not, so my afternoons have become evenings. My evenings have become nights. My nights have become mornings. It's just that shift has happened in the course of three weeks. You're, you're suddenly the whole diurnal nature of your being so well established over these decades is yeah just gone. Three weeks. It took three weeks for that to happen. The worst thing for me is people are now wanting to socialize now. And again, like, oh, let's meet up for like a drink and a beer. And I'm like, no, gotta like stay in. Is that even true? friends were like, well, friends were let's meet up to like walk. Let's go for a walk. Let's do the social distancing. Even like I said, no, I'm not doing it. What's going to be your first step out once once this clears? Is it back to a cafe for your two p.m. cake? I'm, Is that a milestone? I'm really celebrate? scared. <laughs> I'm scared I'll be like Brooks in the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> I'm institutionalized. <laughs> couldn't take life on the outside no i'm i think it will be do you know what it's going to be summer right it's going to be really summer when this is if we get a summer out of this which we might not you never know i'm going to step out in my brand new hoodie which i actually road tested today and this thing is spectacular it's like this golden black it just looks oh my goodness it's the that's the closest thing i'll ever get to, i think to a sports car so i'll take out my brand new hoodie get out the bell-bottom jeans the yellow and black trainers, slightly Kill Bill tribute there and just walk. I'm just going to walk. And at the end of that walk, I'm going to meet some friends for a drink, uh, at, at, at probably overflowing bar or pub up in Mitter. That's the plan. Berlin will not know what hit it. <laughs> Listen, they're not ready. They're not, they are not ready for this. They're not ready. Berlin, take this time to get yourself right <laughs> physically and spiritually to get ready for Musa when he emerges. <laughs> they haven't seen my final form. They haven't seen it. <laughs> Hello? Hi, 
Hi, can you hear me? Hey, it's Saba. Yes, it is. Sorry. Oh, what's I happening? Know what's but happening. I can't <laughs> get. It's very strange. It's very I can't, strange. Get, I can't like, get like my laptop, my laptop to. to... Saba, I don't, I don't think any of us know what's happening. <laughs> that, is true. <laughs> that is true. You're not alone. So tell me where you are now, Saba. So I am in Karachi, um, where I've been living for the last year. Though at this point, it feels like I have been living here for 200 years. Um, so I've lived in Karachi for most of my life, as you know. But I was away for a couple of years in the middle. Um, and... Yeah, um, I feel like I've aged a lot in the last few weeks, so we're completely under lockdown here. Um, Are you glad to be in Karachi as opposed to Amman or...? Yes, because there's this very strict curfew in Amman, like the army is patrolling the streets and you're not allowed to do anything. And yeah, so um, I'm kind of glad to not be in Amman. Um, and, you know, like flights would have been cancelled, I wouldn't have been able to leave. So just from logistical perspective, I'm glad I'm not there. So I have been thinking a lot about the homeless place in front of my house in Amman. Um, for the last mm. few days, I miss it a lot. And I think a lot about my my local supermarket. And I wonder if they're doing okay. Um, I guess it's kind of familiar in Karachi because I guess we're, I, at least I grew up in this kind of environment before where things would be closed down for a protracted period of time like especially over the weekends you would have like day-long strikes and you couldn't leave the house but I guess it's different in that like there there was kind of an outlet to like vent at or to understand who the enemy was or like why you were staying home because there was either some conflict brewing outside or there was a political strike or the government was whatever but now it just feels like I don't know who to blame anymore you know (laughs) It's everything. It's man and nature conspiring against us. Do you know people who have gotten sick? Do you feel like the illness is kind of spreading around your circles? No, no, because they're not testing enough people here. Um, There's such a limited capacity for testing that the numbers are not reflective of anything. People are still going out and touching things. Oh my God, people need to stop touching things. Um, uh, Is that that a Pakistani thing to just to to touch? Yes, uh, like... To like, you know, shake hands or, uh, you know, hug people or just have physical contact. It's a very common thing here. And there is way too much of it. <laughs> it just needs to stop. Um, and people also don't understand like personal space. Um, and I'm generally very aware of that as a woman. But I feel like I'm much more acutely aware of it now um, than I have been. Um, and, you know, like the day before the lockdown, I think one of our neighbors invited me to come for a prayer thing at their house and I was thinking well no like there is no polite way to say that like I don't want to come because this is a vector of infection possibly but also like what are you thinking this is no time to be sitting around like mingling um and it's also been really They're hard to have one last social engagement before yeah I mean we're still having social engagements which you know is kind of ridiculous and um yeah it's it's just been a very weird and frustrating experience. I think especially, I think it's true for a lot like other places as well, but I have found explaining to like older people that they should be staying at home really, really frustrating. Like my goodness, the amount of yelling I've had to do over the phone is kind of ridiculous. That does seem to be a global thing. Our generation hectoring the, the, the careless <laughs> and, uh, older generation who's so casual with their own lives. But where is that coming from? Is this like some kind of like wartime mentality thing? Have they lived through war so they think this doesn't impact them? Like, what is it? I can definitively say that 
baby boomers have not lived through worse, and yet they still want to fling themselves over the parapets um, <laughs> uh, somehow. Very, very confusing. How do you get exercise? What is your escape from the uh, from from your apartment? Well, so the highlight of my uh, we're allowed to leave the house once one person can leave the house once every two days. Um, I feel like my partner and I are possibly the only people following this very strictly um, because I see lots of people outside in twos. Um, That's that's a government rule. One person every two days. One person from a family. Yeah. So every two days. Um, And yeah, I don't know how many people are observing this. I don't think they are. But sure, we're observing this very strictly because we're idiots. Uh, So the highlight of my day of going out is sometimes throwing the trash. I have never enjoyed this experience more than I do now um, and no I actually exercise at home I um, I used to go to a gym which has been closed and so the uh, the trainer I used to take classes with is now doing them online and uh, so you know th- four days this past week I have sweated in my living room uh, with my cat walking around um, with six other women on Zoom, which has been kind of nice. Uh, but yeah, other than that, it's pretty much just like going to the supermarket once every two days and like dodging people and then just being angry irrationally at other people. Like the other day, I was about to have a meltdown inside the snacks shop because there was somebody there who was cleaning out the aisles. And, you know, it was also like stupid because I was like, well, like they're also up. This is an upper middle class shop. These are upper middle class people. Like it's like they're stealing from the rich and like, just taking it for themselves right um so it's not like you know they're cleaning out the store of essentials but then i was thinking like what the hell are these guys doing like how much jot masala do you people need like what the fuck are you buying this crap for um and yeah i guess like the impulse to scream at random strangers has been like one of my great things that i want to do this um at this time so yeah how has the uh we've been hearing about the blue skies of delhi have does Karachi feel different from a pollution and noise? I mean, all the things that, that you've always told me are just so maddening about the place. Are some of those different now? Oh, my God. Like, so much. It's so ridiculous. Like, the first day of the lockdown, the second day, the sky was, like, this beautiful, clear blue. Um, and, you know, the air smells cleaner. Like, I think air quality was, like, at its best in the last year. Um it was, and it's also very strange without the noise. Um, and, you know, you hear and see the birds much more often. They've also become really brave. Like I saw a pigeon on the road, which was kind of stupid for the pigeon because then I saw a cat attack it um, and just like walk away with it with the pigeon still flapping its wings. This is like the things I'm doing now for entertainment, right? Like I'm just looking out my window saying, what is happening outside in the world? Like it's... This is your new Netflix series? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, it totally is. The pigeon is. in the road? Yeah, yeah. So like now I like keep an eye on that cat to see what else he's like doing. And I could tell like this was going to end badly uh, because this pigeon should not have been an idiot. But I guess they're so like... What is, I, I'm sure like for them it's also very confusing like suddenly there are no cars and nobody to like shoo away the dogs or like yell at them or the cats and now it's just like they have free run um, so yeah it's a it's a really strange and like transformed city like I my neighborhood is very noisy I live like close to a lot of cafes and restaurants and you know I live actually right above a, a liquor shop so um, there are always people here and now there's just no one Alexis in Madrid. Tell me about your neighbors. Have you have you met some of them? Yes. Across the way. Absolutely. I um, and one of the things that actually 
um, makes me feel despair alternating with a great amount of joy is uh, kind of going back and forth between the fact that uh, despair because I, I haven't met these people before and great joy because they um, they're frequently doing things that uh, capture my attention and entertain me and make me very happy and I cannot wait to meet them in person when this is over. Um, so when I say my neighbors, basically I live in a very uh, urban environment. So it's in the middle of downtown Madrid. When I say urban, I mean that, you know, the buildings aren't particularly tall. They say four five, six stories tall. Um, they're all, it's all flats. It's all apartments. Um, it's quite close together, but of course it's a typical city in that you don't necessarily know your neighbors. Um, and there is a building across from me where there is a guy who DJs at night and he, in, in his same building, they cannot see the DJ, but above him, there is a, uh, a, a, a set of women. I believe it's a mother and a daughter, I suspect who dance. Um, and there are other people obviously out, out every night clapping because we've been you know, sort of doing our 8 PM clapping thing for, for about a month now. And there is also a gentleman who uh, I know quite a bit about him now. I know that he's Catalan. I know that he's an actor um, who we see from our rooftop. And because he also comes out on his rooftop and we have, you know, connected on Instagram. Um, we sort of publish stories about each other. We chat on that channel. So that's, uh, that's sort of wild. I also hear across the street from me, there's a woman who's older and um, the other day I was able to hear somebody from my building who I couldn't see, um, just checking in with her and making sure she was okay, asking her if she needed groceries or anything that, you know, um, that they could bring her. And then I guess my other neighbor I know, which is much closer to home, is um, the guy next door. I didn't really know him. Uh, he has a family. They're originally from Argentina. And his wife and his children, his child, have gone back to Argentina sort of before this all right before this all kicked off, um, when it was just starting. And so he's on his own. So we tend to, you know, say hi to him whenever, whenever we can, whenever we, we see him. When does the DJ set start? Um, he starts, so there's a very famous song here in Spain called Resistiré by the Duo Dinamico. And if I never have to hear the song again in my life, I will be a very happy woman. It is, it's sort of like the Spanish equivalent of like, I will survive. Um, uh, resistiré para seguir viviendo. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Even, even I know even this song. Even you know this song. Yeah, el, el, el duo dinámico. So um, what happens is, um, obviously that the, the, people will play I will survive here also, but sort of resistiré is their go-to jam for this business. Um, so usually what happens is the clapping happens, the DJ will play Resistire, and then he will play a, a little set. Sometimes that set, um, like last night, I think he wasn't feeling it, um, so he didn't really play much of anything. And then uh, this uh, last week, on, on the weekend, one night um, I was just rabidly excited and happy because he played for two and a half hours. So, I mean, as you can imagine, that was pretty much the highlight of my existence in a very long time. <laughs> 
That's amazing. Yeah. So really depending on the mood of the DJ, yeah. so goes the neighborhood. I feel bad for the guy. It's a bit of pressure too. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure he feels obligated. Like, oh God, I got I have to do this every I have to do this every single night, you know. Um so sometimes he's like, ah, oh, you know, fuck it, I'm not doing it. But um yeah, for the most part he does. He'll he'll play like, you know, a good a good eight, ten songs and then sometimes he goes wild and, and does quite a bit more. What is the first thing you're going to do when the confinement uh, is is over with these new friends of yours? Is it time to grill on the balcony or? Uh... I it's funny because we've actually talked about that a little bit. So I have two things I want to do, like regarding these people, the the neighbor that's behind us on the roof. Like we've already had discussions about how like we have to go out and have some canyas or we have to do whatever. I said to him. Um, Oh, you know, you, you have to come over and, and we'll do, we'll grill something or we'll do something on the terrace. And then I realized like, he doesn't want to come to my house. <laughs> he wants to go to the street. We all want to go to the street. So, um, so we talked to him about that, about going out and having some canyas, like, you know, the tiny beers. And then the other thing I'm really hoping, which I have discussed with the DJ, I now know his name. He is called Andres. Um, I was like, what's up, DJ Andres? Exactly. What's his DJ name? I don't know what his DJ name is because, like, it's it's hard to have a conversation with him because the distance is so big, um, and you just you have a very short window of opportunity between where he stops playing the music and then he closes his window. Um, there's not a lot of time. <laughs> All right. So, but but DJ DJ Quarantena. Yeah, exactly. Is, DJ Quarantena. Uh, so, like, we we talked about like we need to have a block party um, when this is over. You know. Ah, uh, yes, you yeah. do. And he can he can be the DJ. I already know who the dancers are going to be. Those fantastic ladies across the street. Um, looking forward to it. <laughs> Lava Pies is going to be bumping. <laughs> I think it. I hope we don't all like infect ourselves with how bumping. There'll probably be a huge, huge like increase in STDs this whenever this ends or something. You know. <laughs> Ah, uh, the plague to yeah. come. I mean, listen, I people don't give STDs enough props. At least you have a good time while you're getting yeah. sick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, <laughs> this, like, I would so much rather be fucking and getting ill than just being sneezed on and getting yeah, ill. Yeah, like I, you know? I went to the grocery store and now I'm in intensive care. Like, that's no way to... <laughs> Man, well, I I look forward to the time when we can all catch STDs like like uh, in the olden times, like the old days. Amen, <laughs> amen. Uh, thank you, Alexis. You're and uh, let's uh, let's hope the DJ keeps the mood up. Yeah, I have. It's it's like I say. I hope the weather gets a little better. I think that's really going to inspire him. And then, uh, yeah, we can all keep having our nightly dance party. <laughs> Para seguir viviendo, soportaré los golpes y jamás me rendiré. Y aunque los sueños... <laughs> it worked! Here we are, New York to Sweden. Hello, how are you? How's New York? You should come and visit. <laughs> uh, it's really beautiful this time of year. I much prefer the orchard at the moment. <laughs> I would prefer your orchard as well, but uh, we are where we are. The musical <laughs> yeah. chairs ended. So yeah. <laughs> uh, you 
you're in the kitchen. What are you doing now? I'm um, making uh, asparagus and some rancid hollandaise and some lamb and some hasselback potatoes. Is this special for Easter? Or is this your usual home cooking? This is my usual home cooking for Easter. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, give me. But I'm drinking me... exceptionally good champagne as well. Um, no, at the same time. <laughs> Tell me what the Easter ritual is. When is the big meal? Is it Sunday midday? Is it. No, it's what is the Swedish Easter? Saturday. Yeah. Today. Okay. Yeah. It's happening today. Yeah. And then Sunday is for church and. Relaxation. It's you know it's the it's the weird uh, Swedish obsession with the the day before. It's the same for Christmas as well. We don't celebrate Christmas Day. We celebrate Christmas Eve. Only. You are very punctual people. <laughs> so, something like that. Tell me about the orchard. This is kind of what I want to hear from you. Is some some nice reflection on this this ancient orchard of yours. I mean, it's uh, it's really beautiful at the moment. It's uh, just about like the buds are just about to start bursting open. Uh, it's a little bit early. Ideally, I would want it to happen in maybe three weeks or something, but it's been a very mild winter, so I think that maybe the pear trees will start flowering in seven days or eight days or something like that. Um, which means that there is a bit of a risk for night frost, but um, it's at that it's at that moment in spring where everything is just kind of revving up to summer, and you can feel like every every morning you wake up, uh, I sleep with the window open, and every morning you wake up you hear another bird that's come back from uh, you know further south for summer. So there's like another another voice added to uh, to the bird song in the morning. How many trees do you have there now? 10,000 trees, roughly. No one has ever counted them. There's more important jobs to do on the orchard, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, one of the things about your orchard that you can see immediately is that it's, it's, a, it's a natural orchard. These trees are not sort of... Uh, Place closely together in rows and in, in ways that the more commercial ones are. I mean, is... they are in, they are in rows, uh, but it's it's an old orchard. It's um, it was planted in 1941 or 42, most of it. Um, and back then, they planted bigger trees than we do today in commercial orchards, and the spacing was bigger as well. So it looks more like the Disney version of an orchard, like the idea of a beautiful orchard, <laughs> um, more than a modern orchard does. A modern orchard usually has trellises and dwarf trees that are pruned uh, almost like hedges, uh, and they don't even look like trees, which mine do. Yours look like baby ants, sort of gnarled yeah, they do. and wild. all of them. <laughs> all of them, they look like baby ants. Maybe they are, I think they are baby ants, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see when they grow to full size what their real powers are. What is the role of disease in in the orchard, and how do you manage them as the as the one who's who's uh, lord over all of these ten thousand trees? <laughs> I mean, it it, re it varies a lot, and I I mean I don't have that much practical experience with the orchard. It's still pretty new to me, but I, I have read a lot, <laughs> and I've spoken to a lot of people, and I looked around and. 
I mean, apple orcharding, conventional apple orcharding is one of the dirtiest forms of agriculture. Uh, it, it's very reliant on really strong plant protection, um, both insecticides, um, herbicides, fungicides, and, you know, a lot of sites, essentially. Um, and for, for us, that doesn't quite apply because we are in organic orchard. Uh, so it's more about strengthening the life force of the trees themselves and then just stepping in and breaking disease patterns at very specific moments to make sure that they don't overwhelm the natural protection of the orchard itself. Without making too facile uh, an analogy, a little bit of testing and tracking and quarantining, early intervention <laughs> on the fungi. It's the Swedish way. Yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, the, the only, the, the most important thing is actually to have a very um, biologically active orchard. Because you see, the fungi only winters on the leaf, the pollen leaf. So if you have a very biologically active orchard, more of those leaves will break down and turn into soil during the winter, meaning that they can't infect anything. <laughs> but and this is interesting because if you see, if you go, if you visit organic orchards that have been, you know, doing it for a long time, there are almost, if they're well managed, there are almost never any uh, any big masses of uh, of leaves left in the orchard in spring. They're almost all gone, you know, eaten by night crawlers and worms and things. Whilst if you go to a conventional orchard, which would be uh, either open soil under the trees, like with tillage machines, or sprayed with, like constantly sprayed with Roundup under the trees to keep any growth gone from under the trees. Um, and heavily, heavily uh, <laughs> sprayed, you know, a normal orchard right. is sprayed 16 to 20 times every season. Um, in, in, in an orchard like that, you have very, like much less soil life and much less biology happening and you will see like piles of these leaves in spring you know as a testament to that the fact that there is not enough biological activity to take care of the leaves in quarantine yeah. are your are your trees getting more of your attention i know a lot of people are spending more time with their children are you spending more time with your trees as well i'm spending more time with my children because they're on easter break uh, for two weeks and then they're going back to school? Yeah, absolutely. My goodness. The world continues uh, some some places. <laughs> it does, it does. Well, I will let you spend that time with your trees and your children and wish you an, an incredible Easter. And I look forward to seeing you in person uh, as, as soon as our confinement is, <laughs> is done for. Yeah, thank you, Nathan. All right, happy Easter, Magnus. You too, bye-bye. The Trip from Roads and Kingdoms is hosted by me, Nathan Thornburg. Theme music by Dan the Automator. Show artwork by Adele Rodriguez. Executive producers are me and Matt Goulding, also of Roads and Kingdoms. There are not enough words in my dictionary to tell you how I feel about Alexa Van Sickle, the best compañera and producer I could have hoped for over all these years, particularly with this show. Cannot wait to work with her again. The Trip is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Your ratings and reviews make a huge difference to our return to those platforms and will help this show make that move. I would also love to hear from you directly on Instagram at nthornberg 
or on Twitter. I'm looking for more people in more places from Boise to Baku to check in with around the world under lockdown. If you know a person with a good lockdown story or if you are one yourself, be in touch. We will meet you next week.